Well, good morning to all of you. Welcome here. I have been uh, refreshed this morning. I hope all of you have been too. I appreciated that uh, opening meditation about the love of God. And in a lot of ways, that sort of set a, a nice uh, foundation for what I had to share too. And uh, I thought of the... Uh, the uh, family songs and sharing, and you know, God is waiting. He is waiting for us. When we know it, when we recognize it, when we see that He is drawing near to us, earth recedes and heaven opens. That's pretty awesome. <clears throat> I'm uh. I was touched by that this morning as I thought about it. And uh, and then following that song, we had, uh, Lord, I am fondly, earnestly longing into thy holy likeness to be made. Uh, I hope you're doing that. I, I really trust that you are. And, uh, and so this is probably not necessarily... Um, Anything new to you, something that you all are acquainted with, but uh, I'm going to preach it anyway. Common salvation. I wonder what goes through your mind when you read that. Common salvation. What did you think of? Salvation that we all share as a church. Good. Common to everybody. Good. That phrase is used just once, if I know right, if I have this right, just once in the Bible. Just once. Does anybody know where it is? Jude? Jude? Yeah. You turn to Jude. Now the interesting thing is that Jude was going to write about common salvation. And he didn't get it done. I think that's interesting. Perhaps that is the reason why it's caught my attention. Because like I said, this is nowhere mentioned any other place in the Bible in this exact phraseology. Now common salvation is referenced all over the Bible. But I don't know that it used this phraseology. And and many times as I have read the book of Jude, I've read this verse 3 of, of uh, Jude, and, and it says here, Behold, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write about something altogether different. And he never gets around to saying what the common salvation is. Have you ever wondered what Jude was going to write? (laughs) I have often wondered that. Now we really know, I believe, what Jude was going to write. And uh, I'd like to preach about that this morning a little bit. What Jude was going to write, which he didn't write. I think we know pretty much what he was going to say. And although it has not actually been written here in the book of Jude, yet I believe that... uh, it's, it's very clear 
come in salvation. Uh, the other definition for common is altogether different. This is going to be, uh, I was going to say too, this is going to be a salvation message, but not the kind of salvation, not the kind of message that know how to become saved, but the kind that is glad that you are saved. All right. So when you think about common, the first thing that comes to our minds sometimes is common as uh, not preferred or not the best. Do you ever use common that way? You know, you have uh, in the stock market, I think they have preferred stocks and common stocks, right? The preferred ones get paid first. If there's money left, the common ones get paid. That's not the kind of common we're talking about here this morning. It's not that kind of common. Common sometimes means kind of the -the run-of-the-mill stuff, you know, not the special stuff, just the regular common stuff, right? That is not the kind of common that we're talking about this morning. Now, I realize that some people do uh, sort of treat this uh, subject a little bit in that kind of a way. Uh, At least their lives are that way. You know, they live as if salvation was a run-of-the-mill thing. I think that's ever so wrong. Ever so wrong. For there is nothing common place about salvation, is there? There is none other name under heaven by which you must be saved. It is unique and singular. There is no other way to be saved. Some people think that you can get to heaven by being a good Buddhist or or being a good uh, Hindu or some other religion. No. There is one way in which you must be saved. John was in heaven in the spirit when they were looking for that opportunity and there was no one in heaven or in earth that was worthy to open the book until they came to the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world and he was worthy to open the book. Nothing coming. Nothing coming about that. All right. Common here means like uh, Eldon said applying to all, everyone. You know, the Bible says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us unto our own way. So every one of you is included in this, bar none. There is no one here or ever lived who was worthy to go to heaven on their own, except Jesus. He was worthy. But none of us human beings are found worthy. None. So in that sense, 
This salvation applies to all of us. We all need it. We have turned everyone to our own way. But you know, the most amazing thing is that God chose to lay the iniquity of that, all that sin that you and I and all of us have done. He has laid the iniquity of that upon himself. How common is that? That's awesome. In Isaiah 53, that's where that was, says he has laid upon, upon himself the iniquity of us all. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, not his own. He was bruised for our iniquities, not his own. The chastisement or the punishment of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a perfectly amazing? What wonder that God would take that upon himself. <clears throat> the second word, salvation, implies a crisis. We were all lost, headed for judgment, doomed to pay the price and the penalty for sin. And he took it away for us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. In the lusts of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath. Even as others. That's where we were going, right? Every one of us were in that party of people lost and gone astray. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. And that reminds me of our opening here this morning. You know, we love him because he first loved us. But God, who was rich in that mercy and for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And we're together here this morning because of that. I don't believe I'd know most of you except for that. 
But we are gathered together here and we sit together in heavenly places. Why? Because he loved us and bought us unto himself. Made us sit together in heavenly places. But it wasn't for that, by the way. I think you should read the next verse. The reason for this is that in the ages to come, throughout all eternity future, that in the ages to come, He, God, might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Do you realize this morning that it will take all of the ages to come to discover the riches of that grace and mercy? Thank you. There's nothing commonplace about that. It's going to take all of eternity to fathom the majesty of the Father who would do that for us. That is beyond comprehension. Common salvation. Nothing common about it if you're thinking of common as being second place. But common in the sense that we all get it. Oh, and by the way, all of you can have it, bar none. There does not need to be a single soul lost. Although there will be many that are lost. But this salvation has been provided for everyone. Oh, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. Whosoever will may come. The whole world may come. Provided. Paid for. It's there. Perfectly awesome. Why would anybody go another way? Come in in the sense that we can have this together in Christ. Think of John 17. Jesus prayed that we would be one with Him. That's common. One. Not separately, individualistically, but corporately, together, bound together in the bonds of love. We sing that sometimes, don't we? Common in that sense that we are one with Him and with the Father. Even as Christ and the Father are one. How much is Christ and the Father as one? Inseparable, right? I mean, not divisible. And that is your destiny. That is what you are called to. This is what God wants you to become. One with Him. That's incomprehensible to me. We've got a long way to go, don't we?
I'd like you to think about it this morning, that this salvation has not happened. It is happening. Okay? Do you get the difference? So often we think in our minds that it happened. I'm saved. Good, glory. All done. Right? Not so. Not so. It is happening. I believe if you realize how much it is happening instead of happened, and I believe that there's a sense in which you ought to know something did happen too, but if you know that it is happening, it'll change the entire perspective of your Christian life. I have found it so. It is happening. One of the reasons why people consider Salvation to be commonplace instead of so uncommon, you know, is because because they think of their salvation as already having happened or finished. And it is only because they do not realize the scope of this salvation that they think that it is completed. Because if you, uh, if you really see God for whom he is, and you see God as being holy, and he bids you to be holy, think about that. God bids you to be holy, even as he is holy. Did anybody arrive? No hands? No takers on that? No. Me neither. You see, as we realize how much we have to go to become holy, we realize it has not yet happened. It is happening. Isn't it? happening. You know, if there be anybody here that has actually come up to that standard, you know, I'd, I'd really like to meet you after the service because I need the help so much. <laughs> I'd like to be there, but I'm not yet. And I know none of you are. <clears throat> All right. First John chapter 3. Maybe you want to turn to that. 1 John chapter 3. Behold, the manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Ponder that. Powerful words. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Do you wonder how that can be? Sometimes I do. 
But that is how God sees us, even today, even in our imperfection, even with all the things that we don't do perfectly. God considers us to be his sons. Oh, how wonderful is that? Surely earth recedes and heaven opens, if you think about that, doesn't it? And it doth not yet appear what we shall be when, you know, when we get there. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. How is that? How is that? How is him? Perfectly holy. Right? And when we are resurrected unto him at the end of our life when salvation is complete we shall be like him perfectly holy isn't that wonderful for we shall see him as he is perfectly holy now I like this next verse And I really want you to get this one. And every man, not some of them, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. Even as he is pure. Even as the Father and the Son are pure. He works at it. He works at it. He purifies He purifies. He works at it. Right? Every man that hath this hope, this expectation, this longing to be one with the Father, every man that has this, and every woman too, by the way, everyone that has this hope purifies and purifies and purifies himself. Not everybody else. Sometimes we'd like to purify everybody else, right? More than we'd like to purify ourselves. But if you have this hope that you can be at last one with the Father, you will continuously be working at becoming that. That's what it says, doesn't it? Every man that hath this hope purifieth himself even as he is pure. I like to say if that's not happening in your life, if you're not continuously trying to become holier, Don't worry about being holier than now. You'll never get there. Okay? You won't ever be holier than now. Right? So, just drop that worry. You were, you tried to become as holy as you can. Huh? Can we do that? Let's do that. If that's not happening, then I don't think you have what's real. Because every man that hath this hope does that. Okay? Not saying we don't have some faults. We do. We are a work in progress. Sure. When you became saved, you know that time when you gave your heart to Jesus, uh, some things changed overnight, didn't they? I mean... 
you got a new perspective, right? You got a new joy. You got a new purpose to live for. Do you remember? How many remember? Okay. Well, you're sleeping maybe, but anyway, some of you are, uh, remember. Glad some of you are awake and thinking about that. Uh, yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember the joy? Do you remember the joy? Oh, and the peace. Peace. No more fear. No more dread. No more condemnation. I remember. Are you excited about that? Do you remember the love that sprang forth when you realized the change of your destiny? Or have you forgotten? The Bible says in first or second Peter chapter one, verse nine, that he that lacketh these things, and it's talking about growing in grace and in holiness and everything and becoming like that, he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. He's blind. He doesn't see down the road. He doesn't see what's coming. He does not comprehend the majesty that he's called to. He is blind. He cannot see it. And he has forgotten that he has been purged from his old sins. (laughs) Amazing. Perfectly amazing. While I was studying for this message, I... uh, I saw something perhaps that I hadn't seen before. Um, I'm supposing that most of you know that uh, the book of Jude has a parallel passage. How many of you are aware of that? Has a parallel passage to Jude? Not so many. Okay. Well, you should find it out about it then. Uh, turn to Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. I'm presuming that most of you have read through the book of Jude. You know what's in there. The right place here. If you read the book of Jude, you see all that his warnings about the, you know, the, the people have fallen away and everything. Now scan down across the, uh, second Peter chapter two. Doesn't that look an awful lot like Jude? Doesn't it? It sure does. I mean, you know, it's almost the same passage, isn't it? Have you ever wondered about that? You know, some Bible scholars uh, uh, believe that, uh, that Jude was listening to Peter or read his work. And was so excited about it that he wanted to pass it on to more people, and so he wrote it down. And other Bible scholars think that maybe uh, Peter was listening to Jude, <laughs> you know, the other way around. Uh, I don't know which way that is. I don't know if one listened to the other and, and copied from the other or not, or whether it was uh, trying to repeat it, or whether God was had given the same message to two people. 
That's quite possible. I do believe that either way you look at it, or however you take that, I believe it is inspired, given by the Spirit of God. And, uh, and I want to say this, that the book of Jude is a warning and an instruction that is very needed. And just because I'm not preaching about what is actually in Jude this morning is not that I think it is unneeded or that it was a sidetracker, or, you know, going down a different route, because the book of Jude and the and Second Peter chapter 2 are warnings that were definitely needed in their day, and they are needed in our day. And certainly, there are people that have been crept into the church, perhaps unawares, that have turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And that's a serious problem. And it is something the church ought to take seriously. I believe that with all my heart. But that does not take away the glory of the common salvation. And my topic this morning is not the book of Jude, but the common salvation. And so as I was wondering about this, I, I, what I uh, had seen the, that I hadn't seen before is that uh, <clears throat> I got to wondering about this a little, and I thought, if Peter's message mirrored Jude's message so closely, you know, they were right almost the same thing, does Peter have anything in there about the common salvation? Might there be anything in there about the common salvation in Peter's message? So I went looking for it. And that's what I saw that I hadn't seen before. Because sure enough, the common salvation is being talked about right there. Turn to Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Just before chapter 2. <clears throat> if you look at uh, chapter 1, this is, uh, is definitely a... a Talking about the common salvation. And I'm going to start in right at, uh, I'm going to, to go to right to verse 4. <clears throat> verse 4. And it's actually started before this in verse, uh, I don't know, probably back as far as verse 1 or 2. Well, that's, let's start back at, uh, at verse 2. Grace. And peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and, and of Jesus our Lord. That's talking about the common salvation, isn't it? According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Read holiness there. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Read holiness there again. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Yeah. Exceeding great. Not just great. Not just precious. Not just precious promises, but exceedingly great and precious promises. Wow. Uh, where am I here? That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, 
having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now pause there a moment and think about this. Um, did you realize that because of your fallen nature that there is in hot pursuit of you corruption? Corruption of every kind. That is in hot pursuit of you. It is just as if it's hunting you down. This depravity that is in you. You all know about that, right? You feel that? It comes after you. It hunts you down. But do you know that by this common salvation that we're talking about, you are able to escape. Isn't that amazing? You can escape it. You don't have to be taken down by this depravity, this sinful nature that tugs at your heels all the time. You don't have to be taken down by this. Because this common salvation that has been provided for you gives you the power to overcome. And you don't have to be overcome by it. You can overcome the sin. Let's move on to chapter to verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness Charity. That's quite a list, isn't it? If you've got all those things added into your life, what will you be? You will be holy like Him, right? This is the calling. This is what you are called to. To become one with God in this way. To be holy, even as He is holy. Verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound and grow like they should, if you've entered into this and you continue to grow into it and it becomes more and more of you, they make you that ye shall be neither barren nor unfruitful. Have you ever wondered about your Christian life? Have you ever wondered why you feel barren? I'm presuming that some of you, at least at times in your Christian life, have felt barren. Are you with me? How many of you have felt barren by times? I have. You have come to the realization That your life just isn't cutting it. How many have felt that way? Yeah. 
and you feel like something must, something must change. Something must, you must get a hold of something. You, you've got to have more than you have. Yeah. We need that. But that barrenness, friends, that barrenness comes because we have not entered into his fullness. Okay? If you are, if you have given yourself, if you willingly apply yourself to become what God wants you to be, and you have given all your sins to Him, and ask for forgiveness, and you have purposed in your heart to walk in truth and in love and in simplicity and in righteousness and in holiness and in and in virtue and you know what? If you do that, you will not be barren. You won't. I mean it's going to change you from the inside out. I know of no other way, by the way. Nothing else works like this does. But if you have this, you will be fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then that verse that I read earlier. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he is purged from his old sins. He doesn't see the thing. Wherefore the rather, wherefore the rather, Brethren, give diligence. You know, it actually takes a little diligence, by the way. You have to purpose in your heart to do this. It is not something that happens just, you know, on automation. It takes the will. You've got to put your mind on it and say, this is what I'm choosing. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm going to do with my life. That's diligence. Give diligence to make your calling an election, sure. Now, here's a promise. For if ye do these things that I just read, adding, you know, adding, adding, adding. If ye do these things, here's the promise, ye shall never fall. Do you like that? I'll take that. That's the promise. If you apply your heart like this in diligence to become holy like the Father wants you to be holy, ye shall never fall. Oh, I like that. I like that. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's how. Sometimes you wonder what and sometimes you wonder how. This is how you do it. The provision you cannot earn. I want to make sure that you understand. You can't get this by your own bootstraps. 
You need to understand that. It's a free gift from heaven. A free gift from God Almighty who has chosen by His own free will to give Himself a ransom for you and to bear your iniquities because He loves you and not because of anything you have ever done or thought. He has chosen to love you and gave Himself for you and it was free. That's the provision. That's the what that is given. And you by no means can ever earn that. Never. However, having been given that freely and having received it and having realized that God has drawn close to you and has given to you great and precious promises and earth recedes and heaven opens. Having received that, He gave you His divine nature which from within changes you into holiness. And you desire to do His will. Isn't that awesome? And you want to become what He has created you for. And you can see down the road. And you can see that Almighty God wants me for His bride. How awesome is that? And He is calling me into holiness. How awesome is that? And when you see that, you have that hope, that expectation. And you purify yourself. You purify yourself. And it happens. That's the only way it happens. Let me tell you, it's the only way it ever happens. That's sustainability. That can happen. When the power of God gets a hold of your heart, that will happen. Now, lest I be misunderstood, there are other things in the Bible too. Unless I be misunderstood, there is a place for, you know, church authority, church rules, and admonishing one another and rebuking one another when it's necessary. There is a place for all of that. And that is needful. So don't hear me like I'm writing that off. But I will tell you that those things by themselves can never perform by themselves. They are there to help us where we're weak and failing. But the one thing that will change you thoroughly from the inside out is the love of Christ. Okay? Don't miss it. By all means, this must be central in your life. You cannot love the Father without His love being poured into you. You can't do it. It is impossible. But 
as you receive His fullness, and as you press into His likeness, nothing can stop you. Nothing. I made to think of that song we sang the other week. On wings as eagles. Mounting up on wings as eagles. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I like that song we sang too. Soaring confidently. Nothing can harm you. Nothing anybody can say can offend you. Nothing can deter you. Nothing can waylay you because the Spirit of God moves you into His fullness. Don't miss that part of it. It's central. Seek it with all diligence. Proverbs, I think it is. Or is it Psalms? Proverbs, I think. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You know what issues are? Streams. You know, streams. The issues of life. Your life is like a river that flows out of your heart. Keep thy heart with all diligence. If you have a corrupt heart, what do you expect is going to come out? Corruption, right? If you've got a holy heart, what's going to come out? Holiness. Why do so many Christians fall into tragic sins? Why? You have observed that, haven't you? I have. Many Christians, even Christians that you would think, are really, you know, really doing well. Some of them fall into tragic sins. Why? Why? It's because the inside has been made only partly over. There's a mixture in there. What they're doing is what is in their heart. I want you to know today that if you find in yourself You know, sometimes we look at everybody else and we kind of get judgmental. I want to encourage you to to look at yourself for a little bit now instead of everyone else. And when I do that, sometimes I am actually appalled at some of the things I see. When I stop to ponder what is really in my heart, And I realized that 
I am tempted in this way or that way. And that temptation is revealing something that is actually in my heart. And I am appalled at what I saw. Can you relate? You know what I'm talking about? Do you feel that? I want you to realize it is the goodness of God that He is revealing to you. He is revealing a work not yet complete, but it's on its way. You need to see life this way. You need to see the temptation that comes to you as depravity uncovered so you can deal with it. Because what God is wanting to happen is He wants you to see that and rid yourself of it by His grace. Make the choice. Decide, no, we're not going... We're not doing that. That makes it your choice. Not just something you've always grown up with. Do you see the difference? So God is allowing you to to face a thousand different temptations. A thousand different ways to test your integrity. A thousand ways to test whether you're Genuine. Not so that you might fall. Not. No. He is allowing those things to happen to you to purify yourself. To come to grips with the meanness that I am by nature and to allow myself to become more and more holy. Do you see the difference? So, if you're going to see yourself that way, you're going to have a lot more power to to overcome, aren't you? If you realize that I am being tempted in this way because my heart has an issue. And God, in His wisdom, who does not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but with every temptation that He allows into your heart, He has given you already a way of escape. That you might experience it firsthand. God has already measured it. And He already knows you're up to this one. Uh, sometimes you didn't think so, did you? That's a lie. You know, the devil tells us those lies all the time. And sometimes we tell that lie to ourselves. We say, I couldn't help it. Everybody else was doing it. And, I mean, I didn't really want to, but 
I had to. No. That's not true. It's just not true. And you need to come to terms with that. It's not true. It's a lie. You can stand alone. It might not feel good. People might look at you like, well, so, how diligent are you? How well do you see down the road to being a pure and holy, spotless bride of Jesus Christ? Is your eye on that? We've had a couple of weddings here lately. The bride's always dressed up in white, you know, right? And she fusses to make sure that her bra- that her dress is perfectly clean for the wedding. May I ask you, as the bride of Christ, is your garment perfectly clean? How much do you care about the spots and the wrinkles? in your garment of righteousness. How much do you care? Well, I can tell you that if you really see this hope that I'm talking about this morning, and you believe that your God is calling you and, and bringing you into His holiness and His fullness and He wants oneness with you, you'll be just like a bride coming up to the wedding date. Anxious to make yourself holy and pure and righteous. Anxious that you shall not have any spot or wrinkle in your garments. And if you get a spot there, it's only that God is showing you what to change. So that you might become like himself. Every man that hath this hope purifieth himself. I think I'll stop here with just maybe a one more thought yet to share with you. And And again, I, I want you to make sure you get this right. Uh, I'm going to give you a disclaimer first so you don't hear me wrong. Uh, again, I do, I do believe in church authority and the working of the church together to strive for holiness. I do believe that. And I do believe in addressing one another and saying, Brother, what is this in your life? I mean, shouldn't you stop this? I do believe that. Okay? Now, having said that, I'm going to have the liberty then to say the next thing. And that is, that if this striving to become holy yourself and you realize the struggle that you have even with your own self. 
Now, who is easier to change? You or the next guy? You should be able to change yourself easier than someone else, right? But if you have so much trouble getting it perfect, is it any surprise that your brother or your sister might have a little trouble getting his perfect? Is that a surprise? Do you think that it's easier for him or her than it is for you? Why then are you so quick to, you know, boot him out the door? That's our natural tendency. We have a natural tendency to be critical of others. Be careful with that, brothers and sisters. You understand what I'm saying? Again, there is a place for all of this. There is a place for us to, in righteousness, exercise church discipline on those who, are, who walk not in the truth. I'm not displacing that. But I'm asking you to search your own heart. And I think that you'll find that if you see this purpose, this hope that is in you, this salvation that we hold in common. Are you getting that? And as we seek as a congregation to be in salvation, and we are working together to become like Jesus Christ and to hold the promise of the Father in common. Are you getting it? Do you understand that as we strive together to do this, you will not have attitudes of superiority and of judgment. Instead, you'll have mercy and grace and interceding and encouragements and forgiveness and even long-suffering sometimes. Not willing that any should perish. You understand what I'm saying? And you're yearning to be holy this is altogether different, friends. This is altogether different than per, 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 promiscuity. Altogether different. Or permissiveness. Altogether different. I'm not preaching permissiveness. No. God forbid. I'm preaching the love of Christ which constraineth us. The love of Jesus that calls you upward and forward and together. This is sustainable. Now, I realize that it is not sustainable aside from the Spirit. (coughs) But I realize, too, that There are a great many churches today who are trying to live the Christianity, the life of the Christian, without the Spirit. 
That's a tragedy. You can never get it done. Now, outwardly, you can look pretty nice. Outwardly, you can have a certain things that, you know, come together and, yeah, it looks good. To human beings, it looks good. To other men, it looks good. Think of the Pharisees. They looked good too, didn't they? All nicely dressed the way they did, you know. Always perfect. Blue ribbons down there. Phylacteries. Yeah. Holy, holy. Stand long time in the street corners praying to the Father. Oh, Father. Yes. Yes, Lord God. All looks nice, right? But to the Father in heaven, it did not look nice. It did not look nice. No, there was... There was... Things like... Pride and arrogance in their hearts. And they despised this publican. Oh, I'm sure glad I'm not like him. Poor duffer. That's what was in their hearts. And that didn't look good to the Father. And Jesus said, Do you realize that that publican who's crying out before God there in his rags goes home justified more than you? You have your everything just right. You realize that? Because it's at a heart level. How can we get this? You know, and and, and as I'm saying all of this, I'm I guess I'm just appealing for you to with all your heart yearn for the fullness of God. Okay. I do not mean, by clarification here, I do not mean this to be in any way divisive or critical of anyone who is attempting something in another manner. Even if it's human instrumentality. What I mean for us is to get Square on the power of God that will actually change us. And then we'll have no trouble with the rest. I think you understand what I'm saying. I hope so. This common salvation is the most awesome thing you can lay hold of. And I'm here to say it works. It works. Unfailingly, it works. Have I, have I proven that? Have I, am I made perfect? No. But I know that in Christ I am perfect. And in Christ I know what it's like to want to do what is right. Am I always there? No, I struggle like you do sometimes. It's fair and be honest. But let's press into it. 
There is nothing that equals this. There is nothing that is better than this. He has given unto you all things that pertain to life and godliness in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why would you settle for anything else? If you're settling for anything else, it's because you don't see what you could have. If you understand what you could have, by all means you will want it. It is the blindness of our heart that makes us go astray. Thank you.